We'll be reading from 1 John 3, verses 10 through 15. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised. My brothers, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It's encouraging that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We continue to pursue God's heart. Hopefully that's not just a series that we're studying right now through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Hopefully that's a description of our life for as long as we live. We truly want to love the things that God loves, and we want to hate the things that God hates. And the only way we can do that is to learn more about God. And so we're in this series to learn out of 1st John, what is it that God teaches us through this apostle John about love? And, and this morning we'll continue that study by seeing about God's love teaches us to love and teaches us exactly how to love. And, and anytime we learn what to love, in so doing, we also learn what to hate. And so we'll continue that study in just a moment. I was behind a boat yesterday. I wasn't on the water. I was driving down the road and it was being towed behind a vehicle. And I was behind a boat yesterday. And, and as many of the boats, they, the, their owners give their boat a name and they put it on the very back of the boat. And, and on the back of this boat, the name of it was Sunday Fun. And I thought, you know, a boat really doesn't describe to me Sunday fun, but this is what is Sunday fun. To be able to have the opportunity to come together and worship God has got to be one of the highlights of the week. To be able to be among God's people and pour out our heart to God, can you think of anything that would bring greater joy to the heart of someone who loves the thing God loves and hates the thing God hates. And today is even a little extra special Sunday as we will leave here the, today in, in groups and we'll stay together a lot of the afternoon working together side by side our, our brothers and sisters and we're thankful for that opportunity to be we are the sermon today and, and you know the truth is we're the sermon every day. Uh, we'll go out tomorrow and, and the Lord will take His church and He'll place His church in workplaces and schools and houses out in communities. And, and it's interesting to think that every day the church is going out and preaching a sermon literally by the way they live. But today we want to make a concentrated effort to do that together. We want to reach out to our community in such a way that is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's simply to say, we care. 
We want to make a difference that is positive in this community. And so the, the church will be leaving the building this afternoon. And, and if you need to know where to be connected to that, you can get connected in your Bible classes this morning. And if there is uh, a particular project that you'd rather be a part of that's not a part of the Bible class, or if you're not in a Bible class, you can sign up uh, in the foyer just to the left of the information center, there is uh, all of the projects and we would love for everybody to be involved in whatever capacity you want to be involved. This is not designed to make those who, who maybe because of health, you're simply not able to be involved. God understands that. We understand that. This is for those who, who have the ability, the health to be involved and you want to be involved. And this is an opportunity for us to spend a part of this afternoon in seeking to try to do good. Contrast. When you look at this next slide, immediately it's easy to see that they're very, very different situations. One, we see that, that man is involved very much so. and the other, we see only uh, the nature of, and, and the uh, God is involved in the nature that he created. And one, we see a very muddy and, and dirty scene. There's probably some of the guys here that they look at that photograph on the left and they think, yes, now that would be the way to spend a Sunday afternoon. I'd love to do that. And there'd be others of you in this room that you look at that and you think, if I was ever that dirty, I don't know what I would ever do. But then we look at the other side and it's so pure. You know, perhaps all of us have, have awakened and we've peeked out of our window some winter morning and we've seen a scene like that and, and just immediately the, the thought and the idea of purity passes through our mind. Only God could create something that's so beautiful and so pure. You know, when we read the writings of the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, John, the Apostle John has oftentimes been described as the Apostle of Contrast. He seems to be able to take ideas and just lay them out in very black and white. He seems to be able to take some things that sometimes we might be a little bit complicating to us, but, but he's able to, to make it pretty simple. He's able to lay it out in such a way that we get it. Now, it's not that the gospel that he presents is different from the gospel anywhere else in the scriptures. It's just because he lays it out in contrast that sometimes that's what makes the difference where we say, ah, oh, I understand now. As we think about the contrast that he lays out here, I'd like for us by introduction to first see why is it that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth. I hope you have your Bible open. We are still at 1 John, the text that has been uh, capably read just a few moments ago. We're going to start a few verses before that just for our introduction and then we're going right into that text. It's on page 1083 in the Bible that's in your pews there. And I'd like for you to notice 1 John the third chapter. We're going to read verse 5 and verse 8 and I'd like for you to notice the word manifest. The word manifest it means to, to show, uh, to make known. And when we think, why did Jesus come to this earth? Well, let's hear John say this. He just lays it out in very black and white terms. It's very obvious. 1 John 3 and 5, and you know that he, this is talking about Jesus, he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Now notice again as he says it in the latter part of verse 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose... Isn't that interesting? He says, I want to tell you why the Son of God came. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that so plain? Paul, uh, 
Whoa, I'm stuck on Paul this morning. John, can, can you tell us why? Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why was he shown God in the flesh? John, can you tell us that? And John would say, sure, for your sins to be forgiven. And second, so that the works of Satan, the works of the devil, might be destroyed. Now we say, well, what are the works of the devil? Look back in that very same verse, in verse 8 again. Notice he says, he who sins is of the devil, and the devil has sinned from the beginning. So what are the works of the devil? It's sin. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To destroy sin in our lives. Isn't that a beautiful picture of why Jesus came to this earth? We were lost. We were dying in our sin. And His forgiveness that He offers us is why He came to this earth. But it's not just the forgiveness so that we have the hope of eternal life, but it's also taught here that it's also in our forgiveness that we start living a new life of works. Now that I am saved, I cannot live the same life where now Satan continues his work in me. Now that I'm saved, that work has been put to death. That's why Jesus was manifest, not only to save us, but to show us how to live and how to live that life. So then this brings us to a true... If Jesus was manifested so that the works of Satan could be destroyed in us, that means our life ought to manifest... Our life ought to show the fact that we have been saved and that the works of Satan are destroyed in us and that we truly are living as the children of God. You see, now we're back to another black and white issue. There is a big difference in someone who's saved and someone who's not saved. There is a big difference in someone who's working the works in their life of righteousness and someone who's working the works of Satan. Preacher, why, why are you emphasizing this? Have you seen folks that they live a, a lukewarm life? And in that lukewarmness, they begin to question things. Well, sometimes I don't, I don't really know if I'm saved or not. I, you know, I, I know I'm a good religious person, but sometimes I just want... Could it be the lukewarmness that's creating that doubt? You see, John points out that there's quite a contrast between someone who's not forgiven and someone who is forgiven. Someone who's working the works of the devil and someone who's working the works of God. If there's not a sharp contrast in our life from us and worldliness that we studied a few weeks ago, it could be that the two have kind of crept in and they're blended in our life. And where that leaves us, that leaves us in only one place. And that's on the side of darkness. You see, this contrast is, is interesting how it carries all throughout the Scriptures. For example, we, we read of many passages like the wheat and the chaff. We, we read about the goats and the sheep, the right hand and the left hand, the good fish and the fish that are rejected. We read about being built on a rock or built in the sand. We read about being a wheat or a tear. We read about being ready or unprepared. We read about being faithful or unfaithful. But it's here as we go to the 10th verse of our text that is one of the most clear contrasts perhaps that's ever been given in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this is the only scripture 
the only verse that ever places the child of God and the child of the devil side by side in the scriptures, verbally here, side by side in one verse. Let's notice verse 10 again. And, and notice he says at the beginning of verse 10, in this, we're going to come back to that in a moment. That's powerful. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We have something here that he says is manifest. It's to make known. And he says, it's the children of God. They can be made known. And it's the children of the devil. They can be made known. I'd like for you to imagine with me just a moment that you're sitting on, on a, a seat and, and uh, ten people come walking by one at a time. They all have on a, a pair of blue jeans and, and some kind of shirt. And, and all ten of them come by and then someone comes up to you afterwards and says, did you see those ten people walk by? Sure did. Which one of those were the children of God and which one were the children of the devil? You'd probably kind of look bewildered and, and you'd say, I, I don't understand your question. Well, ten people just walk by and, and everybody falls in one of two classes. Either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Those ten people... Which ones fell into which class? You said, how could I know that simply because they walked by? Well, that's a good question. But now I ask you this, how can you know it, period? You thought about that? God gives us a test. God says, this is your litmus test. This is how you can know whether or not someone is a child of God or a child of the devil. And he brings it in this verse down to two things. He says, it's whether or not they practice righteousness and whether or not they love the way I've taught them to love. Now, isn't that interesting that we're back to that topic of practicing righteousness again? He's mentioned that. John has mentioned that several times as we come down to the end. If you have your Bible open, see there at the end of, of the second chapter in verse 29, he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. We studied that last week. Remember, we talked about if someone practices medicine, if somebody practices law, what you understand in that terminology is they have knowledge about how to conduct their business. If we say we practice righteousness, we're saying we've become a student of righteousness. We've gathered all that we need to know so that we can go out and we can make decisions that would practice righteousness. We see it again, mentioned again in the third chapter in verse 7. Practicing righteousness, that person that does that is righteous, just as he is righteous at the end of verse 7. Now I'd like for you to drop down uh, to uh, the third chapter in verse 8. Notice what he says in the third chapter in verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But now, we've already read that in the third chapter in verse 10. At the end, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. As we think about God laying out and, and saying, look, in this, did you notice that in verse 10? In this, you can know the children of God or you can know the children of the devil. In what? In what? in that they practice righteousness or they don't practice righteousness. If they don't practice righteousness, they're of the devil. If they do practice righteousness, they're of God. Obedience. Hopefully, all of us have a heart that is set upon obedience. This week, whenever we're pressured by peers, whenever we feel like a situation is too heavy and, and we're about to make a decision, are we going to do the right thing? 
That's what we ought to be concerned about. Not simply because it's a matter of fact, but because it's a matter of our relationship with God. Children of God, how do they walk? You've seen someone walk, you say, they walk just like their father walks. How does the children of God walk? They walk like their father. He is righteous. We also are to be righteous. Our elder brother Jesus is righteous. We also ought to be righteous. But in this righteousness, he also teaches us how to love. Notice the rest of that verse there in 1 John 3 and verse 10. Notice at the end he says, He said, whosoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, how are we to love? Notice in 11 and 12, and by the way, this is the only time that a proper name from the Old Testament is used in the book of 1 John. And so the only example that's a proper name out of the Old Testament is Cain. And notice what he says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. See how he brings this love down to the fact that we don't murder, but why do people murder? People murder because they do not like righteousness. They do not want to stand for righteousness. You ever heard about someone murdering someone because they didn't want them to tell the truth? Well, if the truth gets out, it's going to cost me. I don't want righteousness to prevail. And so we go back to the very beginning. Cain. Have you noticed throughout the Bible and throughout history, all murderers are always ungodly and are not religious? Wrong. That's the way we formulate it in our mind. We, we sit here as religious people and, and we think, well, we're, we're religious. We don't murder. The very first murder that took place was seated in a godly family. The same mother and father that raised Abel was a godly man. Also raised Cain who decided to live an ungodly life even as he worshipped God. He brought an offering to God that was not what God asked. So here we have a man in worship, we have a man who who believes in God, and we also have a man who decided he did not like the righteousness of his brother. Remember Jesus, while he was on this earth, said that the world will hate you because it has first hated me. And we have a perfect example of that in the very beginning where Cain literally began to hate his brother because his brother was doing righteousness. And so therefore, he took his brother's life. And so we see that murder take place. But is that an exception? No, we see Jesus, when he came to this earth, the only perfect man that's ever lived on this earth, and he was murdered. Who pushed that murder? What was the source of this murder? It was religious people. It's people that believed in the God of Israel. It's the ones that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was through their religious beliefs that led them, false religious beliefs, that led them to envy, to accuse him of blasphemy, and to murder him. And after he was murdered, we find out that there were others that would come along after Jesus. And one, his name was Paul. And you remember how he introduced himself on one particular occasion after he became a Christian. He said, I was a blasphemer and a murderer. Listen, 
If I've got in my mind, just because I'm a religious person, I would never murder, I'm lying to myself. There have been all kinds of religious people all throughout history that have committed murder. But people who are children of God, not just religious, they're children of God, they don't murder. People who are children of the devil, they murder. Now we know that sin can be forgiven and Paul is a wonderful example of that. In Acts the second chapter, the Jews that were baptized that day, they are wonderful examples of individuals that were forgiven of that. But yet this act identifies, it makes known, in this we can know whether or not we're children of God or children of the devil. And so probably all of us would say, okay, I understand that. That's, that's real clear, John. If, if I'm a murderer, I'm of the devil. If I'm not a murderer, that places me with the opportunity to be in the category of a child of God. But then he takes it a step further. Look as we read verse 13. He actually begins this when, by giving us all a warning. Don't be surprised about this. It would be easy to be surprised about this. But he says, don't be surprised, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Now see, that's very interesting because physically we pass from life to death. But see, spiritually we want to pass from death to life. And so he says, we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that in no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so he goes back to that extreme again, and he says, you know that a murderer is not going to have eternal life. And he says, now let me tell you what has the same moral or spiritual consequences as murder. And he says, in my book, Hate. Hatred has the same consequences as murder as it relates to our spiritual and eternal condition. Now, of course, the earthly consequences are very different for hatred and for murder. But both place us in a category of a child of the devil. And many religious people didn't believe that. When you go back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, it's real interesting to me that the Old Testament begins, if you say the first few chapters, I don't mean chapter one, but, you know, chapter four is where we read about Cain murdering Abel. And, and we only go four chapters in, and God shows us an example of murder. We only go five chapters into the book of Matthew, and we hear Jesus teaching not only about murder, but he also teaches about hatred. You see, like in the fifth chapter in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, that's what they would say. As long as you, you love your neighbor, you're all right, but you can hate your enemy. And he says, no, I say, do you love your enemies? Bless them that curse you. Do good to those that hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then we see back in the, this same Sermon on the Mount in the fifth chapter in 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What's the teaching as we put these two paragraphs together? 
One is God expects us to love even if it's our enemy. God expects us to make sure that, that we do not harbor hatred in our heart because it leads to murder and God considers it a sin just like He does murder. Even to the point that in hatred we cry out to someone, you fool. And He says, that's placing you in judgment of hell. Do you believe that hatred is that serious? Children of the devil would never believe it's that serious. Because to them, as, as long as they've not killed anybody, they're all right. And God says, no, no, no. People that have a heart like mine, people that are pursuing me, they learn to forgive. They learn to allow the vengeance to be left up to God. Or Romans the 13th chapter, let it be left up to the government. But they learn to forgive and they learn to pray for individuals by name. They learn to do good for individuals that are their enemies. Friends, I cannot harbor hatred in my heart and remain a child of God. It's black and white. John makes it very, very clear. But I'd like for you to notice this last thing as we close this lesson. It's also a difference not only of murder and of hatred, but it's also a difference of indifference. Look in verse 16 and 17, and we'll mention this quickly because uh, about uh, probably two or three months ago, we had an in-depth lesson here on 16, 17, and 18. He says, by this we know love. See, he's still talking about how we can know whether or not we're children of God, children of the devil, and he's talked about if we're going to be children of God, we have to love. And so now he says, here's how we can know love in 16. By this we can know love because He laid down His life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is where our ministry, the 1 John 3.16 ministry, gets its name. It's from this teaching where God expects us to not be indifferent to other people's needs. Someone says, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not even hateful toward individuals. Ah, oh, but are we indifferent toward individuals? You see, that still identifies us as a child of the devil. When we see someone in need, is it easy for us to shut up our heart and turn our back? And, and we might even verbalize something. Oh, I really hate that they have a need. I hope they do better. And he says, God says, I'm not looking for people that can speak love. He says, I'm looking for people that will do it in deed and in truth. You see, it comes down to whether or not we're selfish. Indifference always rests on the side of selfishness. Generosity, compassion, and genuine care always resides on the side of God. I want to tell you something that I long to see, and I've never seen this. I long to see a congregation that is so unselfish that people arrive early so they can get a back parking space so the people who are running late that morning can have a front parking space. Have you ever seen a congregation that's that unselfish? 
Isn't it amazing how selfishness runs through our veins and we just have to fight it on every corner? How oftentimes do we drive down the lane of, of a shopping center and, and we rush seeing a car on the other side hoping we can get that front parking space before they do? Why? Because it's accepted. We have all accepted that a measure of selfishness is fine, that it really doesn't place us in the category of the devil. And the Lord doesn't agree with that. Lord says it's unselfishness that places us in his category. Now I'll just give you one little example to challenge us to think out of the box in every way. Why do we do what we do? Do we constantly through the day fight the fleshly nature to say that's the way I would do it if it were me? But since I'm living by the, by the Spirit and not by the flesh, because remember Galatians 5 and 17, 18, 19, he says those two live contrary to one another. In other words, it's black and white. The flesh and the Spirit are different. We live a different life. We want different things. When we're a child of the devil, we want it for us. When we're a child of God, we want it to help others. When we're a child of the devil, it's all about me and my convenience. When we're a child of God, it's all about what can I do to make somebody else's life a little bit better today. Think about that. What can I do to make somebody else's life better today? In a small way. In a grand way. In a small way that, that may not even be noticed by the one that we're making their life better. But that's okay because we don't do it so we can be noticed. We do it so God can be glorified. And simply because it is righteousness. Practicing righteousness. Where over and over, day in and day out, we have learned to practice righteousness. In a few hours, we are the sermon day will be underway. You know what we are the sermon day is about? Practicing righteousness. Going out and saying we're not indifferent. We see that there are needs in this community that the community ought to rise up and do something about. And if there's anybody in the community that ought to rise up and help one another, it's God's children. We can't really expect the children of the devil to do that. But God's children ought to do it. This morning, will you be humble enough to be real honest with yourself this week? Will you pray about it every day? And will you meditate upon God's scripture to say, what is it in my life that I do that's selfish? What is it in my life that's hateful that I need to get rid of? What is it in my life that's just not righteous and I need to stop practicing it. And I need to make sure that I'm practicing God's righteousness. There's none of us that have arrived. But surely all of us can take a step closer to God today than what we have in the past. But we're about to sing a song of invitation. And I need to ask myself, am I saved? That's a black and white issue. If I'm not saved, I need to make sure that I don't leave here today until I know that my life is right with God. 
If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you're ready to come back and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.